But yes, my little introduction for me, I am Caleb, and I am the son of my mother. Um, I'm the youngest of three siblings, and, you know, I, I, I grew up in Saskatoon, so Saskatoon is my city. Anybody was born here? Woo! 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 Y'all suck! Come on, Saskatoon! Saskatoon, come on! So I'm going to need you guys to cooperate with me here, because I love getting some amens. Amen? Okay, I need you to cooperate a little bit better. Amen? Amen. Okay. So I just want to, I just as I was like preparing for this sermon today, and I was sitting down, like my heart just started beating so, so fast. And God, for, for the past maybe two weeks or so, God has been putting revival on my heart. And all of a sudden, people just start talking about revival in the prayer room. People start talking about revival on the stage. And I'm like, man, what's happening? So I feel that God wants me to talk a little bit today. He wants me to prophesy a little bit today, okay? So I believe that God is going to move in Saskatoon. Amen? He's going to move so powerfully. And we're not even going to see it coming. And we are, as a community, as Elam Church, we're going to be a big part of this. He's going to use every single one of you, whether you like it or not. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but he's going to use you in, in ways that you could never imagine. Because, because, of he, because he is enough, you are enough. Okay, guys? And I want you guys to understand that. That you are enough for his plan. You are enough for his kingdom. That you are enough. Understand that, please. Doesn't matter how broken you are. Doesn't matter how far you've gone. You are enough. And God is calling you right now in this very moment just by me talking to you. He is calling you in this very moment. And so let's switch gears a little bit over here. Um, if you guys have your Bibles with you, let's turn to John 1, uh, verses 43 to 50, all right? Let me know if y'all are there. John 1, verses 43 to 50. If you guys got your phones, uh, that's good. Nowadays, we have Bibles, um, so you should bring them. Um, yeah, I, I barely bring my Bible, which is kind of bad because I'm a pastor. Um, but phones are reliable too, so. Yeah. I used to think when I was a kid, when I dropped my Bible, I would get struck by lightning. Who else? Well, I would just preach this sermon on holy ground and stuff like that. And um, I was talking about how, like, you know, if you don't wear a, th a collared shirt with three buttons on it, you're going to hell. And that sounds about right, right? Like, you're going to hell if you don't wear that. If you, if you drop a Bible on the ground, you're going to get struck by lightning. But anyways, are you guys there? Amen? All right. So John 1, 43 to 50. So before this, Jesus had actually been calling a few other disciples. So Andrew, Peter were those disciples. And so verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything go come from there? Anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do, you, how do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before, before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you that you were under a fig tree. You will see greater things than that. 
He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And so a little bit of context here. Who was Philip? Philip, he was a fisherman from Bethsaida. He was from Bethsaida. And his name in Greek actually means lover of horses. Who loves horses here? I don't know anything about horses, but I think they look cool. They're tall. They're strong. We name power after them, horsepower. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, like, his name meaning lover of horse, I don't know if it means anything. Maybe God is like, oh, yes, we should all have horses. Amen? <laughs> Who said amen back there? The horses are like $130,000. I don't know. I ain't spending that much. But who was Philip? Who was Philip? Philip, he was often a man of weak faith. And this is something that I want us to understand. So what do we think of somebody who is the opposite of that? Who, what do we think when we think a man of great faith? We usually think this person that is overly optimistic, that sees the good in every single situation. Maybe this person looks like they always, they always have their eyes on the goal and they can never lose sight of the bigger picture. They're a visionary. They take the risks. And they believe that they can do absolutely anything. That's, that's somebody that I would think would be a man of faith, right? Or somebody who is a person of faith. But Philip, in the eyes of our world, was a man of weak faith. He was a man of very, very weak faith in our eyes. And think about it. He might have actually been the kid that didn't like reckless love. Because God loves it. God's love isn't reckless. Um, so... A little bit of description of him. He's pessimistic. He's critical. He's skeptical. He's analytical. And Philip was a process person. He was practical. He was by the book. And he was a critical, critical thinker. And some would even call him a killjoy. And he always failed to see the big picture. And as John MacArthur would say, he was a defeatist rather than a visionary. That's who Philip was. Philip was a Jew, so he studied the Old Testament laws and read the books of the prophets. He knew that there was a Messiah who was about to come. And so understanding his personality now, that he's pessimistic, critical, skeptical, he questions everything. He's like, you know what? Reckless love, God's love isn't actually reckless. Ha ha. Sloppy wet kiss, scratch that out. Unforeseen kiss, boom. He was that guy. Like, and when I think of that person, I'm like, actually, somebody knows, like, some people know this guy. My beloved professor, um, no shade though. But like, th that's the kind of person he was. He's like, reckless love, uh, sloppy white kids, get that out of here. Um, why do he, he's always asking, asking the question why. He was critical. He asked so many questions. So understanding his personality now, we can see that he would actually be the one to question Jesus right away with his pessimistic, critical, and unable mind to see the big picture. Another thing that we see for Philip is in John, we read about the feeding of the 5,000. In John 6, verses 5 to 7, it says this, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he had already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And so Jesus knew that Philip had already started to doubt. 
Jesus knew way ahead of time because, like, yes, he is God, but he knew. And that's why he asked the question. And as John MacArthur would say, he said this. He was testing Philip so that Philip would reveal to himself what he was like. And so before Jesus asked him the question, Philip already started to count how many heads there were in the crowd of the 5,000. He was thinking this about he was thinking about how he could feed all of these people and when you when we look at the commentaries on the section it actually talks about how the 5000 all they actually counted was just the men not including the children and the women so during that time when when Jesus was out there preaching to 5000 people it might have actually been up to uh, 10000 people or 20000 people and so Philip is going off like oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh i don't know what i'm going to do we don't have enough money. We don't have enough food to pay for all of these people and to feed any of these people. And so Philip, he was already starting to count before Jesus even asked that question. And the thing that we can see here is that even, uh, even Philip, he already knew how much to calculate. So he was way ahead of his time. And so another thing was for three more years, Philip was literally in the presence of God looking Jesus right in the face. Yet, he still did not understand the gospel. He, he still did not understand who he was looking at, who he was walking beside. All he ever understood was facts. All he ever wanted was more and more proof. He couldn't understand that the creator of the universe was literally walking beside him for three years. He did not see it. But despite all this, God still chose him. Despite all of these things, all of the skepticism, all of the critics, all of the, all of the pessimism that he's poured into it, God still chose him. How did his life end? How did Philip's life end? He was greatly used in Asia Minor and was very influential in the growth of the early church. He was part of the first apostles who were martyred and multitudes were saved through his ministry. And now when we get to the second part of this verse that we talked about, let's get to Nathaniel now. So who was Nathaniel? Nathaniel, who was also called Bartholomew, was Philip's closest friend. His name means God has given, and he came from the town of Cana. The synoptic gospels in the books of Acts do not actually contain any details on his character or personality, and he was only mentioned once in each of those books. And so the first thing I want to talk about, Nathaniel, he was a person of prejudice. He was racist. I'm just kidding. I don't think he was racist. But he was a person of, ra of uh, not racism, he was a person of prejudice if there's a difference. But Philip comes and tells him that he has found the Messiah that they have been waiting for their whole life. Could you imagine that your friend just comes up to you and is like, yo, yo, Nathaniel, my, we've been looking at this for our whole life and I found him. I found the Messiah and he's actually from Nazareth. And so they, these guys, they studied. They studied the law. They studied the Old Testament. And they truly seek the face of God for a big portion of their lives. If not even like their whole lives, they've, they've studied it. They've been waiting for this moment forever. But, but Nathaniel finds out that this very Messiah comes from a place called Nazareth. 
And he says this, can anything good come from Nazareth? Just to give you a little bit of a illustration here. Imagine Saskatoon was in captivity or oppressed by some evil ruler. And we've been waiting our whole lives for this Messiah that is going to set us free. Okay, you guys get it? Then your friend, he comes and he says, I found him. I found the Messiah that's going to set us free from the oppressors. And then you find out that this Messiah is from Prince Albert. <laughs> P freaking A, dog. What? I'll be like, yo, uh, from Prince Albert, like the place where I almost got shanked, the place where me and my boy Nico were having a volleyball tournament and some dude walked into the school drunk, Asking if we could fight? Huh? He's from that place? Nothing good could ever come out from PA. Come on, somebody. Amen? Wow, wow. Come on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Is anybody from PA here? Is anybody from PA? Okay. Oh. Well, I'm sorry. It's the truth. I'm just kidding. Now I'm being prejudiced here. Now I'm being prejudiced here. But imagine that. But then you think about it again, like we live in Saskatoon, so who are we to speak, right? But Nathaniel had these certain prejudices in his heart which made him doubt the Messiah's arrival. There were there was things in his heart that still made him doubt the Messiah's arrival and it made him doubt whether Jesus was really the son of God. The second thing about Nathaniel is that he had a heart that was genuine. Although he was prejudiced, although he might have been racist, he had a heart that was genuine or genuine, however you want to say it. One of the things that MacArthur mentioned in his book, 12 Ordinary Men, is that during the time of Jesus, many, many people were hypocrites. From the Pharisees and all the people in the synagogues, they were all called hypocrites by Jesus. Leaders to the people on the streets were hypocrites. And it was hard to find someone who was actually authentic. Someone who was true to their word. Someone who actually obeyed the law and kept it in their heart. Someone that actually took the teachings of the law and placed it and locked it in their hearts. But one of the things that struck me as I was reading about Nathaniel is when Jesus says to him, Behold, an, Israel, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. In John 1, His desire to truly know God was actually so, so genuine that even the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the God of the universe proclaimed that he had a genuine heart. Although he had prejudices and may have been sinful in his life, he had a sincere passion to follow God. And to know God. How did, his end, how did his life end? What impact did he leave? The early church suggests that he shared the gospel in Persia, India, and went as far as Armenia. Some say that he was tied up in a sack and thrown into the sea. And others say that he was crucified. But all that we know is that he was martyred for his faith. He died for Jesus till his very, very last breath. He was faithful to the end of his time on earth and left a huge impact on the church, which we can still see in this very day. But what does this all mean for us? What does the story of Nathaniel and Philip mean to us? 
My point number one is God will take the most broken people and make beauty out of them. Can I get an amen? God will take the most broken people and make beauty out of them. If you know me, you'd probably be like, you shouldn't be standing up here right now. But he takes the most broken people and brings the beauty out of them. When we start to look deep into the life of Philip, we can't really see anything too amazing. Pastor Luke actually gave me some resources about this dude, Philip. Yet there was absolutely nothing good to say about him. Absolutely nothing. I'm like, dude, Pastor Luke, there's nothing good about this guy. How am I supposed to be encouraging? The only thing we know is that he was pessimistic, a killjoy, critical, and could not understand that the little king of heaven stood in front of him for three years straight. Yet, he is part of one of the greatest historical events that this earth has ever known. Yes, he may have, been, he may have not been the most joyful or happiest person, but even he stood to the very end of his life to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. One of the most beautiful things about our God and the, one, the most beautiful things that Jesus does is he turns ashes into beauties, into beauty. He always somehow turns it around and it doesn't make sense. And let me say this, our greatest struggle may have the deepest cracks within our hearts. But the cracks allow the light to shine even more. There is, there, there's a reason why he calls the broken. Jesus says in his word that he didn't come for those who were righteous already. He came for those who were sick. He didn't come for those who were healthy. He came for those who were sick. The one who needed the doctor. The one who needed the Savior. And now I speak this to you guys as believers and followers of Jesus. That God can use you even though you are broken. Whether you have some mental issue, some sickness of some sort, a heartbreak that's going on in your life, God can take that most broken part of your life and turn it into something so beautiful. Because that's what he does. That's what he does. Number two, we need to be living in the excitement of Jesus. In the, in the excitement of the return of Jesus even. Philip got so excited and he went straight to his best friend and told him about the Messiah. This person that they had been waiting for their whole lives, both Nathan and Philip, were so hyped up about Jesus to the point where they were willing to die for him just to tell others about him. How many of you guys are married in here? Can't really see, but okay. I assume there's some, some hands up. Don't you guys, like, when the wedding day was about to come up, how did you feel? Like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm about to marry the love of my life. Could you say, like, oh, my God, I'm gonna, I need to tell everybody. I'm going to post it on social media. Mm, engagement 2020. Oh, there's, like, 30 engagements in 2020. I don't know. But it's exciting, and we tell everybody about it, and we go around, and we're like, yo, yo, I'm about to get married. And you go to your best friends and the people you love, and you say, yo, do you want to come to my wedding? And you invite people. 
Another thing is, how many of us have graduated of so like somewhere, right? All of us, right? I hope so. I didn't. <laughs> Woohoo! Come on. But I, like, technically I did, but, you know, that's a different story. Talk to me later if you want to. But graduation day was the absolute best day of my life, dude. Like, I was sitting there, and I was wondering if I was even going to walk the stage because I wasn't sure if I graduated or not. But I was sitting there. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, I am about to graduate. And then when I got to the edge of the stage, or it was, like, over there. It wasn't in Elam, by the way. It was at TCU. But I was at the edge of the stage, and I was about to, they called my name and said, Caleb James Bisciata. And I was like, "Woo! I graduated. I'm out of school. And I was excited. Another thing is, like, you, we get excited for birthdays. Like, oh, hey, yo, I have a birthday. I'm turning 22 on Saturday, so come through. Yeah, it's going to be lit. Uh-huh. And we like to invite people and stuff like that. The excitement that you had on these days, they're, they're awesome, right? It's, it's amazing. And on all of these occasions, don't we want to invite our loved ones because it's going to be an absolute party. But just imagine if we were as excited for Jesus as we were a wedding day, as we were a graduation, as we were a birthday, as we were a getting a college degree. Imagine how, how crazy that would be if we were just as excited for that. Right? Just as Philip got excited, he went straight to his best friend to tell him about the Messiah. And so should we do the same. Get excited for the return of Jesus because he's coming back. Get excited because it's going to be the greatest party ever. It's going to be amazing. It's going to top your best wedding day. I'm sorry to everybody that's married. Even the wedding night. Mm. It's, it's going to be better than that. I mean, I have not gotten married yet. But it's going to be better than the graduation day and the birthday. Yes, it will be better than the wedding night. Amen? Some of you guys are like, I don't know. It might be pretty close. Like, here's the wedding night. Here's the wedding night, and here's heaven. <sighs> yeah, that we need to be living in the excitement of the return of Jesus. We have to. And number three. The only way we will know something on an authentic level is if we genuinely seek it. Philip and Nathaniel literally tasted and seen the goodness of God right in front of their eyes. They experienced his glory firsthand. But they actually genuinely seeked him even before they met Jesus. They studied the word and they knew that Jesus was the Messiah the moment that they saw him. Even before Jesus came to them, they had tasted and seen the goodness of God. And so I have a little illustration. Who wants Pringles? Anybody want Pringles? Come up here right now. Somebody get, somebody get some Pringles. There's no amount of people. There's a lot of Pringles in here. Come here. Come here. Oh, wow, y'all really love Pringles, hey! <laughs> oh, no, no, like, no, no, like, you guys will both eat them. I mean, I guess you guys can, 
You guys can do rock, paper, scissors to whoever gets the whole thing, though. Okay, ready to go. Okay, you guys are good Christians, okay. You guys are going to heaven? Oh, maybe. Okay. All right, just a second. Let me open this. Actually, no. Okay. Okay, no, no, no. You're not holding it. Okay, I want you to pretend you're eating it and say, mmm. Mmm. Okay? Mmm. Did you guys hear that? How was it? Was it okay? It was okay. I want you to do the same. Okay, I just want everyone to know that I have been married. Mmm. Okay. <laughs> All right. Whatever you say. All right. Okay, don't eat the Pringle right away. Take it. Just one. Don't eat it yet. You got three. Okay. Okay. Now I want you to eat it. I want to hear the crunch too. Wait, 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 wait. And when you eat it, when you eat it, I want you to go, mmm. Mm, but I want like an authentic mmm. Okay. Yeah. Mmm. <laughs> All right, next. Are you going to do your wedding noises? No. <laughs> no. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, you guys can go down now. Get out of here. Oh, here, you can take the cap. Here. Okay, you can have it, man. So do you guys see when, what are you guys' names? Uh, Jacob and Matthew. When Jacob was standing right here, and I put the Pringles right in front of his face, he went, mm. It didn't really sound that convincing, right? And then <laughs> this guy over here, no, I'm not even going to use him as an example anymore. I'm just going to use yeah, Jacob. Let's just use Jacob as an example. <clears throat> but there was Jacob, and he was like, mm. Mm. It wasn't, it wasn't like crazy, though, right? But the moment I gave him that chip, you hear that. <laughs> And you heard the, mmm. It felt like it was more convincing that it actually tasted good, right? Amen? It, it sounded more convincing that it was actually authentic, right? And I say all of this to say that when you have seen and you have tasted the goodness of God, it becomes so authentic that even to the people around you, when they look at you, they're like, what he has, I want. What, what he has, I want. And the thing that was so special about Nathaniel is that he had tasted and seen of the goodness of God. And it was so, so good that he could not even contain the fire that was shut up in his bones. Because he was so on fire to tell everybody about the Messiah he had been waiting for his whole entire life. If you want to have something more authentic, you need to seek to taste and see the goodness of God. Just like a Pringle. Taste and see. 
Taste and see. Our God is a good, good God. And he's so worthy of every single praise that we have. Philip and Nathaniel. Two ordinary men. A pessimistic, critical, analytical, doubtful, broken, regular fisherman, stanky probably. But the thing is, God still chose them. And I believe that tonight, God is calling you right now in this very moment. No matter your infirmities, your differences, illnesses, struggles, he is calling you right now in this very moment. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. And we're so thankful for how you've revealed uh, yourself to us tonight. God, we're just ordinary, broken people just trying to get through life. But Jesus, you came. And you came for the broken. And you came for those who were hurting. And you've saved us. And we thank you for that. And God, right now I pray in this very moment to whoever is feeling a tug on their heart that they feel that they should do more for you, whether that looks like joining ministry, whether that looks like going out and sharing to a friend. I pray that in the mighty name of Jesus that you would fill them up with your spirit, God, in this very moment. And God, I believe that you're going to start a spark in their heart that will stir a revival in this church. And so God, I declare over every single person in this room, over every single person that is under the sound of my voice, God, I declare that you would spark something within them. That you would just spread like a wildfire, Jesus. So God, as we part our ways tonight, I pray that you would protect us and keep us safe. All the glory and all of the honor belongs to you forever and ever. Amen. Give God a clap of praise.